the New Testament lesson is from the letter to James, reading from the first chapter. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and, on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Labor Day is the great dividing line between the vacation world and the world of work. After one more day of vacation, for many of us it is back to school, back to our everyday non-vacation world, back to work. Protestants, particularly Presbyterians, influenced most heavily by John Calvin, have always affirmed the value of hard work frugality, and the accumulation of and sharing of wealth. Presbyterian reformer John Calvin set the tone. Christians are called to live in awe and reverence for God in every dimension of their lives. The reformers also taught that each and every one of us has a calling. God has a plan for every believer And every believer's labors are worthy of respect. For God calls each person to his or her own particular profession or vocation. Martin Luther understood this when he wrote, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty 
not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Our theological tradition has long affirmed the value of work. We have more trouble with play. The great defense attorney Clarence Darrow once advised young defense attorneys to never choose Presbyterians for a jury. Presbyterians, Darrow said, know right from wrong, but seldom find anything right. And we Presbyterians have seldom found much right with play. Our text from the Song of Songs sounds mighty frivolous to be included in Scripture. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. For now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. We Calvinists have not been big on such playful talk or behavior. Rest is for worshiping God and is a necessary respite before we go back to our real calling of work. Play, on the other hand, I am afraid John Calvin would call the devil's handiwork. On this Labor Day weekend, in these last summer playful hours before work invades our lives full-time once again, let us reflect a few moments on work and play. I think we need to begin by asking, is your work something you do, or does your work define who you are? Do you have an identity apart from what you do for a living? I remember the late Wilt Chamberlain, one of the early superstars of professional basketball, who always insisted he was a man who played basketball. He was not a basketball player. He was over seven feet tall and was the greatest basketball player of his era, but he wanted to be known to have an identity apart from what he did for a living. Does your work define who you are? Now, I have to confess this is not a theoretical question for me because I am staring retirement in the face. My working days are numbered. Some of the saddest people I know are people who cannot separate their identities from their work. For them, when they lose their jobs due to retirement or unemployment, they lose their very selves. When I was a young pastor, I had an older minister friend, long now deceased, who was miserable in retirement. And frankly, he also made his successor miserable in his work. But he was miserable in retirement because he simply could not relate to persons other than as their pastor. Now, this man didn't mean to, but he taught me an important lesson that stayed with me over many years. When it comes time for me to retire, I have no intention of failing retirement. Neither does my wife. Surely our work is important to us. But we are all going to lose our jobs someday. 
So if we be bank presidents, our banks will close or be gobbled up by Charlotte. Or if we be full-time homemaker moms, our children will grow up. If we are managers, our company will find a way to manage without us. If we be doctors or lawyers or teachers or ministers or candlestick makers, whatever, someday our working days will end. And then who will we be? Does your work define and limit who you are? And then to ask the faith question. How does your work fit into God's work? Our word vocation derives from a Latin root meaning calling. Originally, the church taught only priests and women religious had vocations. The 16th century reformers of the church declared every believer has a vocation, has a calling. Do you have a job or do you have a vocation? Can you interpret what you do as worthy of God's blessing? How is your work part of God's work? I think this is important for everyone, not just those of us who are privileged to be in the so-called helping professions. An auto mechanic is no less important than a surgeon is, particularly if he's operating on my car. A salesman plays an important role in meeting human needs. An old proverb says, show me someone who does a good job and I will show you a person who is better than most and worthy of the company of kings. No matter what your work is, you and your work is a witness to others of the presence or absence of God in your life. Can a Christian be dishonest in his business dealings or even sloppy in what she does? How does your work fit into God's work? Well, faith tells us that our calling is primary and our jobs are secondary. Our calling is as God's children. As the author of James wrote, our calling is to be doers of the word. Our calling is to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep ourselves unstained by the world. We are Christians first and workers and homemakers and teachers and students and nurses and volunteers and what have you second. As persons, we are not defined by what we do, but by who we are grateful recipients of God's grace. And nothing can take that identity away from us, neither recession nor layoffs nor unemployment nor disability nor even retirement negates one bit who we are as persons following after the Christ. Our calling is primary. And work is a gift, a divine gift. The work many of us have, the work others of you once had, 
the work some of you someday will have. And work takes many forms, full-time or part-time employment, homemaking, volunteer work. But all work is a gift, an opportunity for self-expression, self-fulfillment, self-discovery, an opportunity for service, sometimes even for adventure. And if you don't feel like the work you are doing now is God's gift to you, is a calling, then I would urge you to either examine what is going on in your life that is blocking the fulfillment of your work, or seek counsel so that you can find out what that work is, which is God's gift to you. Work is a gift of God, but work is not all there is. There's also the gift of play. Architect Frank Lloyd Wright told of an incident from his childhood that had a profound influence on the rest of his life. The winter when he was nine, he went walking across a snow-covered field with his reserved, no-nonsense uncle. As the two of them reached the far end of the field, his uncle stopped him. He pointed out his own tracks in the snow, straight and true as an arrow's flight. And then he pointed to young Frank's tracks, meandering all over the field. Notice how your tracks wander aimlessly from the fence to the cattle to the woods and back again, his uncle said. And see how my tracks aim directly to my goal. There's an important lesson in that. Years later, the world-famous architect liked to tell how this experience had greatly contributed to his philosophy in life. I determined right then, he'd say with a twinkle in his eye, not to miss most things in life as my uncle had. How many things in life do we miss? How many very important things do we miss because we are too obsessed with our work to take time for play? We need to work to feel productive. We need rest to recharge our batteries. We need time to recreate. And for sure, we need to engage in restful recreation and worship through Sabbath observance. But we also need to play for the sake of play. To stop and smell the roses. To really enjoy this good life God has given us. To feel the earth between our toes. And to be knocked down by an ocean wave. To sweat and to shiver. To hear good music and to see inspiring art. To know the sting of a ball hitting bat and to revel in watching a 400-foot home run or a 50-yard pass play. We need play every bit as much as we need work. Reflecting on her life and on what she wished she had done, Nadine Stair, then an 83-year-old woman, wrote, 
If I had my life to do over, I dare to make more mistakes next time, I'd relax. I would limber up. I would be sillier than I have been this trip. I would take few things seriously. I would take more chances. I would take more trips. I would climb more mountains and swim more rivers. I would eat more ice cream and less beans. I would perhaps have more actual troubles, but I'd have few imaginary ones. Friends, now and in every hour, in every transaction, in every relationship, in our work and in our play, let us present our whole beings as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.